Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join us in Appleton and Stevens Point, as well as people on the internet and on television. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I look like a mobster. Those old gangster movies from the 40s. I'm even in black and white. Enough stripes on the screen back there for you. I can't think. Uh, well, Tis the time of Christmas. Did y'all survive your uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> and, the, and the, big, the big Friday, Black Friday, as I call it, the annual running of the pagans. People going, do you see these people on YouTube and stuff going nuts and saying TV, just attacking and going nuts over a toaster or something? Man, I hope none of you ever do that. If you ever need a toaster that bad, give me a call, man. I'll help you out. It's like, <laughs> can't possibly be that important. That's right. <clears throat> <laughs> well, this Christmas, uh, I want to, uh, I, we've got uh, Advent, the time of Christmas starts today, and uh, we have four Sundays up till Christmas. I want to take uh, as the theme for my message this Christmas, uh, from the uh, Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol, story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, this morning I want to bring you a message entitled, The Ghost of Christmas Past. Next Sunday we'll be the doing the Ghost of Christmas Present. Then we have a special guest on the 13th of December. Uh, and uh, you'll, you'll love... Uh, Dale Oquist, so those of you in Stevens Point, many of you will remember Dale. He was, uh, he'd ministered many years in Stevens Point, and he's going to be our special guest. I'm very excited about it. You'll, you guys will really like him. Okay, it's going to be great. Uh, and then, uh, just before Christmas, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And, you know, as I was reading, uh, <laughs> you know, one of my great challenges in life is Christmas. <laughs> Only because, you know, how many times can you teach on the same subject? You know, it's like, I've said everything I know about Christmas, but then next Christmas, you got to come up with something. So we try and find stuff creative. I really enjoyed last year's uh, Ho, 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 the Hose of Christmas. For those of you who forgot, that's, that's right down my alley, man. So we've got to move on from the hose and do something else. So we're going to do the... Uh, Ghost of Christmas, past, present, and future. Uh, as I was reading uh, the uh, Dickens classic this week, I was struck by how many 
uh, references to faith and Christianity are in it. Those all get scrubbed. I never read it before, you know, just seeing the uh, adaptations for stage and film and whatever. Uh, but how many Christian references there are in the story? Of course, that all gets scrubbed today because, you know, talk about God or anything, Jesus. Um, one of them was uh, when uh, Jacob Marley was describing to Scrooge about his torment in the afterlife as he's being dragged, dragging around these chains and the weights of his sins because he refused to care for his fellow man. He tells Scrooge, he says, at this time of the year, speaking about Christmas time, he says, that's when I suffer the most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to that poor abode? That was just one of several Christmas references and Christian references. I went, whoa, that's kind of interesting. So I thought, well, let's, let's use our uh, three ghosts as our... Uh, theme for this Christmas. The first one, obviously, is the ghost of Christmas past. Read how Dickens describes this ghost that Scrooge found himself face to face with. It says, it was a strange creature, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. And the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, more delicately formed, were like those upper members bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, it had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from its crown of head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light. Scrooge asked, are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold me? I am. Who and what are you? Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past, inquired Scrooge. No, your past. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk about how to deal with some of the ghosts of your past. Three things I want to point out in particular. First of all, times of stress can quickly make you turn to your past. It doesn't take long to be living your life as a follower of Christ and excited about what God's doing in your life and walking in a new life and yet find yourselves at times reacting in really bad ways, ways that you had acted in many times in the past, ways you thought truly you would never act again, maybe in anger, speaking harshly, cursing, doing or saying things in times of loneliness and acting in ways that you wouldn't normally act. Why, why do we do these things? Because it seems like one of the easiest things in the world to do when we're going through times of stress is to revert to that which we know. Particularly if you're fairly young in your Christian faith and you're not being uh, careful to remember who you are in Christ, it's really easy to fall back. But you don't have to be young in your faith. There are people I know for decades have been serving God, but yet push the right buttons in them and boom, they go right back 
to where they were. And sometimes it's very discouraging. You think, why do I do that? Maybe, maybe I don't really know Jesus. Maybe my faith is just a scam and a sham, but it's not. It's just that in times of stress, we tend to want to revert back to that which we are familiar with and must take great care to be careful not to do that. We see this in, uh, in, Rome, in Romans, <laughs> Numbers, different part of the Bible, way back in the fat part. Uh, Numbers, the 14th chapter, uh, starting with verse 1. Now, this is when the children of Israel uh, had come out of Egypt, and, you know, we're talking dramatic miracles that you and I would pay big money to see. Actually, many of us have paid money to go watch it on the screens, <laughs> you, know, of, uh, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and all these plagues and how Moses comes in and Pharaoh finally yields and lets these people go, this nation of Jews, that they had been slaves of Egypt for 400 years. That's a long time. And they had the mentality of slaves, were abused as slaves, were there only to please and satisfy the whims of Pharaoh. And he was very cruel at times and very harsh with them. And finally, they came out. They came to the Red Sea, got across that, came to the wilderness. God was taking care of them, manna from heaven. I mean, miraculous provisions. But yet, in a time of stress, they immediately reverted back to the way they had been before. They came to the uh, border of what was called the promised land, where God said, you go in. Now, up to this point, God had pretty much done everything in terms of miracles and provisions. So now God says, okay, now you need to get involved. You need to go in and fight. Fight to take this land. I'll be with you and give you great victories. But as soon as something was required of them, they start whining, which is not unusual even of today. People really love this church until we ask you for money <laughs> or volunteer your time and go help change poopy diapers while others are worshiping during the service. All kinds of opportunities to do something. Suddenly when someone asks you to do something, ah, we don't want to do it. We just like to pretty much do nothing. Uh, but that's not true faith. If you're not acting out your faith, you're not really experiencing your faith. So anyway, they came to this border, and God said, time to go in, and they were afraid. They were stressed. They were freaking out. And we pick up the account in Numbers, the 14th chapter, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Now, I can't even begin to get my head around this. These are grown men and women. I could even cut the women some slack. They tend to be more... Emotional anyway, but the guys are crying. Everybody's, <laughs> they're howling. Like what? A whole bunch of girly men, for heaven's sakes. It wasn't just a few. The Bible says all of them. We're howling and wailing. Oh, we can't do it. It's going to be too hard. It's going to be too hard. They're all stressed out. God's finally requiring something of them. Up to this point, they've been skating along. Life has been good. They don't even got to work. They get up in the morning, whoo, food on the ground. They get hungry for meat. Quails would fly down. No, they just pick them out of the air like your Thanksgiving turkey. I'll take that one. I mean, these people had it. They had to do nothing. And again, as soon as something's required of people, oh, the moaning, the groaning, the howls of agony. It says in verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses. Stupid Moses. Out here in this desert. 
He said, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, if only we were dead. <laughs> Good grief. When your response to life is, I wish I was dead, that's a bad day for you. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? That wasn't it. God was requiring of something. That's what they should have been saying. Oh, why is God asking us to do anything? Why does the pastor tell us we should volunteer? Oh, I hate that pastor. Oh, it's going to be awful. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, we should choose a leader. Go back to Egypt. Egypt, are you kidding me? 400 years of abuse. And as soon as they reach for a moment of stress, man, they want to get together a committee and head back. You need to be careful. Be careful. It's so easy during moments of stress and fear to want to revert back to which feels comfortable, oftentimes in our own flesh, things that way we acted in the past. Boy, I'll tell you when this really gets amplified. The holidays. When you go visit family. Isn't that a weird experience? You could be 50 years old. You get around your brothers and sisters, it's like a time warp. And you're sucked back to when you're 12. And the same stupid arguments you had when you were 12. And the same brother who irritated everybody still irritating people now. And just... I know many Christians who just groan. Uh, they don't want to go back to their families <laughs> during the holidays. Oh, Pastor, I don't do so well. I know it's, it's hard. You get in that stressful environment and you get around such familiar mentalities and responses. You want to immediately respond the way you've always responded. Though it was many decades ago. Such is the power of the programming that's in people. And again, in many circumstances in life, what we tend to fall back to, if you're not careful, you will find yourself turning to the ghosts of your past as comfort, trying to help you through. But it's a trap. It only brings what it brought the first time, which is grief, shame, and regret. Don't ever think Egypt. Oh, Egypt. So nice back in Egypt. No, it wasn't. It was cruel. It was painful. Don't turn back. Many people are haunted by the failures of their past. Now, this is a biggie. The past can weigh over us in very strong and powerful ways. Especially after you've become a Christian and you're trying to walk in the new life that God has for you, it's hard not to get caught up into the past. Now, there's a couple of things about the past. One thing is I think people ought to make restitution with their past. Now, how that looks and what that means for different people, I don't know. If you've really hurt somebody or done something badly to someone, you really should try and make it right with them. If nothing else other than just a simple apology, if you can't do anything else. And I'm talking, you know, ex-husbands, ex-wives. Ooh, I know that's a hot subject. Everybody hates their ex-husbands. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to hate anybody. And even if they did you wrong, or more importantly, if you did them wrong, you need to go back and just a simple apology, if nothing else. And, 
and other family, other people. I mean, all, some of us sadly have long lists of people that we've really wronged in the past. I really believe as a Christian, one of the things you should do is, again, at a minimum, apologize. And if you can, in other ways, make it right if it's within your power to do so. The other thing about our past is, even though we are Christians and we have this new life in Christ, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time, this incredible gift, this possibility of redemption that was made possible when God sent his son into the earth, it's still oftentimes stuck in a situation where we're dealing with the consequences of our past. Uh, you know, that's where the scripture becomes very real that you will reap what you sow. You know, some, again, family situations, previous marriages, business failures, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Some of us breaking the law. Sometimes even though you're born again, the police will catch up to you <laughs> and throw you in the hooskow. We've got several people in the hooskow <laughs> from our church. You know, several of those little rats. It's just because they were drinking and got in trouble. Man, don't be getting toasted into holidays. You should be getting toasted anytime. Now, we're not of those absurd ones who think that as a Christian, you can never drink. That is not what the Bible says. It says you can't get drunk. And if you don't know the difference, then you should never drink. Anyway, wonderful girl in our congregation last year. You know, the, F the FBI caught up with her. I mean, wonderful girl, still a wonderful girl. We keep in contact with her and encouraging her in her faith. But years previously, she got caught up into some scam or something she shouldn't have been in. And one day, guess who was there? And off she went to the federal pen. I mean, it is what it is. We're praying for her. She should be getting out next year. <laughs> You know, some people, again, currently in jail. Some people, I've, I know people who've uh, done really bad things. Uh, I have a friend, a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, an amazing testimony, uh, Maury Davis, an amazing guy, great church down there. He was in prison as a young man for killing somebody. He literally killed somebody and was in prison and pretty much socked away for life. Uh, he became a Christian in prison and somehow, some way, he would say, and I agree with him, miraculously, he got out. And those people still hate him today for it. You know, especially the families of the guy that he killed. I mean, you know, they don't care that he's a pastor today. All they remember is this pain that he wrought into their lives. But he got out, and today's an amazing life. But even still, voices of that past still haunt him, yelling accusatory towards him. Our own pastor Betts was in jail for armed robbery. He got like a 20-year sentence. It was a big one. And uh, miraculously, a few years into it, he, was, uh, he got out, got his life right with God, and he's serving as a pastor today in our church. You know, uh, But sometimes there are consequences for our sin. No matter how the condition of your heart, you'll often have to pay for it, and you have to deal with those things. It, it is what it is. Uh, God is not mocked. But as devout Christians, even though we are sometimes paying, and there's lots of people here listening to me, Stevens Point, Appleton, listen to me. You know what I'm talking about. You're still paying for stuff you did before you were a Christian. And there's so many different versions of this out there. Uh, 
But even though you oftentimes get paid, you find yourself still paying for sins of the past, you have to constantly remind yourself that we need to see ourselves as God sees us now in the light of his grace, which is hard to do, especially when your past is still yelling at you and you're still paying for your past. These are people who struggle greatly. And if you're one of those, take heart this morning. Don't let the ghost of your past uh, keep screaming at you and convince you that you have no future. You do have a future. The scripture tells us this, 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's exactly what happens. You come to Jesus, boom, your past is wiped clean. Your slate is clean. You say, how's that possible? Only by God's grace. It's amazing. But even though before God, you're a new creature and it's like you've never sinned, you can still be haunted by the consequences of your past. It's one of the great dichotomies of the Christian experience that even while we are reaping the consequences of our sinful actions at times, we still have to view ourselves as God views us, which is new, redeemed, sanctified, children of God because of what Christ has done to us. This is going to be a big struggle. I know this is a lot of struggle for some people. Their consequences are constantly screaming at them. You're a fool. You're a failure. You're a disaster. And again, it might be in prison. It might be child support you got to pay. I mean, whatever it is, these consequences, it never stops. And it'll try to constantly remind you you're a failure. You messed up. But you have to let God's voice drown out the voices of the ghosts of your past. You do that intentionally by giving yourself to prayer and to reading the scripture and being in services like this so your mind can be set in a good and positive way. You know, Dickens describes this scene where as Jacob Marley finally goes out of the window, Scrooge comes up to the window and he looks out and he sees all these ghosts that are being tormented, souls tormented for eternity. And it describes here, it says, they, they were filled with incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrow, and self-accusatory. That's the amazing thing, self-accusatory. Dickens describes these tormented souls, not that others or even God pointing at them and accusing them, but accusing themselves. And if you've never been there, thank God you don't live in there. But I'm telling you, there's some of us who have in previous lives done, said, been just awful. And those voices still howl at us and we try to accuse ourselves, but be careful with that. Christ has forgiven you. He's given you new life. Don't, in the face of that, constantly remind God that no, you're terrible because of what you've done. Indeed, you feel that way, but don't be that way. I, I love the way Dickens describes that ghost of the Christmas past, its hands of uncommon strength. Why? Because man, nothing can just grasp you and not want to let you go. It's a great struggle. For some, the ghosts of the past actually makes them feel really good about not being good because they were good yesterday. Does that make any sense? A lot of people do that. Well, I prayed yesterday. I don't have to pray today. 
I read the Bible the other day. I'm good. I don't need to read the Bible anymore. Here's a big one. I went to church last week. I guess I'll take this week off. A lot of people in this church, Celebration Church, all you rascals out there. A lot of you sitting home watching me right now. <laughs> Get off your butt, go to church. I'll watch it on the internet. Look, that's for if you're really sick and can't get here. Not for, gee, I was there two weeks ago. I think I'll take the day off. People think that way. They do. You know how many people watch us on TV in north central Wisconsin and uh, in northeastern Wisconsin? Tens of thousands of people, many of them Christians who never go to church. They can't be bothered. So they think by watching me ramble for 30 minutes, that takes the place of going to church. It does not. Go to church. What are they going to do? Not go to church anymore? I mean, there's nothing they can do. <laughs> I have no problem insulting them. They're sitting at home doing nothing. Get off your butt. <laughs> ah, what a joy. It's a lot, man, I'm telling you, there's a lot in this church I hear all the time. Now, this church, on average attendance is about 2,300, 2,500 on a Sunday. At Christmas and Easter, it jumps to 3,800. And if you really to add in all the people who actually call this church their home, literally, you ask them, where do you go to church? They'll say Celebration Church. It's easily over 4,000 people. Why is the average attendance 2,500? Well, because, well, they went last month. <laughs> That's what they think. They'll tell me. Well, yeah. Well, we went to church this spring, so we took the summer off. <laughs> Their ghosts actually makes them feel good about not being good. Because they were good last week. <laughs> Man, don't let your successes of your past fool you into thinking you can live comfortably now off of whatever you did in the past. Paul the Apostle was a brilliant man. He was highly educated. God uses him. The guy writes the bulk of the New Testament. It's stunning how so much could come from one apostle. We hear very little from Peter and almost nothing from the other apostles, a little bit from John. I mean, it's really stunning. Paul was an amazing man, highly educated, very disciplined, very religious person before he comes to Jesus. This is the guy who, when he first, he used to be called Saul. He was the one, first one who started persecuting Christians and killing Christians, arresting Christians. Eventually has this crazy transformation in his life. Does all these incredible things. But of all the wonderful things he did in his life, look what Paul says. Verse 7 in Philippians, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surprising worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, all about knowing Jesus, for whose sake I've lost all things. He says, all these successes, all these things in my life, I consider them garbage. Now, this is a very girlified translation. The New, Inten the new International Version is the most popular version of the Bible. That's the one I always read from when you come to church and stuff. Most of you have NIV Bibles. But these guys, anything remotely offensive in the Bible, they translate into words that really weren't the words they used originally. They didn't like the original words, so they translate differently. What is that? You know, apparently we got to help the Bible out. And I tell you, you know, you look around today and, and uh, all this political correct nonsense and whining, good Lord, have you seen these college campuses today? You can't make anybody feel bad about anything. We laugh because clearly they're morons. The danger is all those people are eventually going to grow up and take over when the most of us are dead. This country's going to be in serious trouble if they don't change the way they think. 
These people literally believe on these college campuses that freedom of speech should be changed. That you shouldn't have the freedom to say whatever you want. You can't say anything if it offends me. I mean, this is going to be the next generation following. You know, we think we're struggling from the 60s generation running everything now. Wait till these cycles get in power. It's a disaster. No one can feel bad about it. I have a constitutional right never to have my feelings hurt in any way, shape, or form. Man, they've totally rewritten the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. These guys say, I'd rather have sticks and stones break my bones. Don't you dare say anything bad. Good night. But make no mistake, I think one of the greatest focus energies of political correctness has been found in churches over the last many decades. Because you can't say anything that'll hurt anybody's feelings. Oh, oh, oh. Good grief. They, they got to change the Bible so people don't have their feelings hurt or feel insulted or their sensibilities. Why am I ranting about this? Because he says, Paul says, I consider all my successes of the past to be garbage. That's not what he said. He literally said, it was poop. That's what he said. Am I correct? Rabbi. Yes. That's what he said. Older translations have it, dung, stuff like that. Actually, many Bible scholars said that Paul used the very common crude word of the day, the equivalent of our S word. He said, all this stuff, all my successes, I consider a big pile of, and I'm not going to say it. Even I have limits. That's literally what he said. I mean, why? He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet as taking hold of it, of knowing Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I don't look like this. You can't live like this. You can't get anywhere if you keep doing this. You keep doing this, you're going to get hurt. You got to stay focused, looking forward. Many of you know I'm a pilot. One of the things they teach pilots, especially when you're landing, look forward. (laughs) Pay attention. Now, once you're at altitude, you throw on the autopilot, you don't do anything. Look at stuff. I mean, it's not like driving a car. You know, a lot of room up there. <laughs> and they got you on radar and they're warning you of any possible conflicts. And it's, you know, flying pretty much is 98% pure boredom. It is, and 2% sheer pandemonium. <laughs> but when it comes time to land, especially you're coming in the clouds and the rain and it's dark and everything's bumping, you're coming in to land, look forward. Pay attention. No distractions. Right when we were flying, we'd hit 10,000 feet. Ah, nobody talk to me. Don't ask, hey, what's that? Look at that pretty picture. No, no talking. Why? Forward. When we land, we can have all the discussions you want. Paul was thinking like that. Jesus actually taught us to be like that. He said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Man, don't be, you know, yeah, I wish I hadn't done that and I still feel bad about that and, and I, you know, I'd fall off. Always, you know, I'd, yeah, but, but, but this happened to me and this happened to me. Man, a lot of people live that way. They can't walk in the freedom that Jesus gave them because they're constantly looking back. And we got several people around here who do that. 
struggling. We talked to him like talking to a brick wall. Trying to get you to focus on the fact of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. But all you can do is this. Like, I, I can't go for it until, until somehow I figure out to fix that. You can't undo it. That's the thing about doing. You can't undo. That's why you should be careful about what you do. Because you can't undo. <laughs> so you actually come to hear this stuff. Very brilliant. It's like certain things you can't unsee. <laughs> Videos that fly around on YouTube. <laughs> oh, I can't unsee that. <laughs> look for the temptation to look back is overwhelming. Do you know why? Because a lot of people think that their current troubles is a direct result of their past. And to some degrees it may be. But the answer isn't to look back. Because you can't undo it. You can't fix it. What you can do is walk in the promises of God today and your path will be clear if you'll just focus on Christ and look forward. Now, without Christ, it's a whole nother ball game. Thousands and thousands of people across Wisconsin and the internet and stuff watch this program, listen to me preach every Sunday morning and many of you are not Christians at all. You know you're not a Christian. You hear about a message like this, I got to tell you, when I talk about your past is gone, that's if you come to Jesus. He wipes it away and he makes it clean. Without Jesus, you're kind of stuck on your own. Without Christ, our pasts are forever before us, like the chains that weighed upon the poor soul of Jacob Marley. The longer you live, the longer the chains. People constantly dealing with the guilt and everything else, they, man, those things will just choke you to death. I wonder some people, the older they get, the grumpier they get. Mad at the world. Why wow, they've got so many chains they can barely breathe. i got good news for you today. You don't have to carry those chains. You can't get rid of them. The only way you can get rid of them is through Jesus. You can't do it by yourself. That's the beautiful message of Christianity. That's the gospel, the good news. That's what the word gospel means. You come to Christ. You put your trust in Christ. He will set you free from those chains. Your past will be gone. Everything becomes new. That's the wonderful thing that we celebrate as people of faith. Let me encourage you, if you've never truly put your trust in Jesus, put your trust in him today. Best to let go of those chains. They won't lift you up. They can only do one thing, weight you down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, help us to... Be disciplined in our Christian experience so that we don't get pulled back into our past during times of stress, wanting to run back to Egypt because it seems more comfortable to us. And help us, Lord, not to let the mistakes of our past constantly haunt us, even though many of us might deal with the consequences of our past. Help us always to remember that in Christ we are new creatures. We are new creations. And mostly, Lord, help us not to be looking back, but to always be pressing forward. Help us not to get comfortable in our present situation because in the recent past we did some other things that maybe are going to cover us for today. Help us to live today. Help us do the right things today and help us as Paul to constantly keep our eyes on Jesus and to keep looking forward and not to, as you warned us, be trying to plow while looking backwards. Thank you, O oh Lord God, for your kindness and your grace, the freedom that we can walk in today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
Amen. God bless you.